Climate change is not only a threat, it is above all an opportunity to create a healthier, greener and cleaner planet which will benefit all of us. We must seize this opportunity. We can achieve a win-win in both ecological conservation and high-quality development. Fighting climate change calls for innovation, cooperation and willpower to make the changes that the world needs. We need to walk the talk. If we do this together, we can do this. We must find a smooth transition towards a low-carbon economy. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. This is not about some expensive, politically correct, green act of bunny-hugging or blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. Green economy, blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 25, 2050, blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Net zero, blah, blah, blah. Climate neutral, blah, blah, blah. This is all we hear from our so-called leaders. Words, words that sound great, but so far has led to no action. Our hopes and dreams drown in their empty words and promises. Of course, we need constructive dialogue, but they've now had 30 years of blah, 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 and where has that led us? Over 50% of all our CO2 emissions have occurred since 1990, and a third since 2005. while the media is reporting on what the leaders say that they are going to do instead of what they are actually doing. and then not holding leaders accountable for their action, or rather inaction. And don't get me wrong, we can still do this. Change is not only possible, but urgently necessary, but not if we go on like today.
And as long as we ignore equity and historic emissions, and as long as we don't include consumption of imported goods, burning of biomass, etc., etc., and as long as clever accounting is one of the most efficient ways of reducing emissions, we won't get anywhere. And the climate crisis is, of course, only a symptom of a much larger crisis. A sustainability crisis, a social crisis, a crisis of inequality that dates back to colonialism and beyond. crisis based on the idea that some people are worth more than others and therefore have the right to exploit and steal other people's land and resources. And it is very naive to believe that we can solve this crisis without confronting the roots of it. Right now, we are still very much speeding in the wrong direction. Twenty twenty one is currently projected to experience the second highest emission rise ever. It starts, in a sense, today's uh, conversation in 1992, when countries promised in international law to prevent dangerous changes in the Earth's climate. And since 1995, almost every country on Earth has been coming together for COPS. And just in case you didn't know, it stands for Conference of the Parties. And according to a new report by the UN, global emissions are expected to rise by 16% by 2030, compared to 2010 levels. Our leaders' intentional lack of action is a betrayal towards all present and future generations. This year is going to be annual summit number 26. And UK is president uh, with, as I said, uh, the event at Glasgow. The people in power cannot claim that they are trying because they are clearly not as they continue opening up brand new coal mines, oil fields and pipelines, pretending to have ambitious climate policies while granting new oil licenses, exploring enormous future oil fields. I do agree, but not fully, with what uh, Simon has just said. I think what is important so the COP26 is to leverage in a way that is going to and for everyone create to feel a much that quicker Transition has been kept as the first major COP since the landmark in, in the Paris Agreement, there's a unique urgency dealing with uh, uh, products that have been around through fossil fuel industries for a very long time. So what that means and is and shamelessly congratulating the themselves while still failing to come up with even the bare minimum and long overdue funding help the most vulnerable countries deal with the impact of the climate crisis. We're all asking what do countries and cities and businesses and all of us individually need to do and are people going to step up? The alternative is to create a carbon price which is placed on and to the get oil, there, gas we need and to coal recovery businesses. And real progress on coal, cars, cash and trees. If this is what they consider to be climate action, then we don't want it. We promised, we being all the countries in the world, collectively in international law in 1992 to prevent dangerous changes in the Earth's climate. And since then, we've met again and, and again 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 They are clearly not listening to us. And they never have. And then announced that in five years' time it will be 5x, in 10 years' time 10x, etc. On coal, we want rich nations to phase out domestic use of coal by and for developing the emissions are still rising. Time, the science doesn't lie. In the meantime, we've of course seen the annual emissions of 
greenhouse gases, including carbon dioxide and others, have grown from about 23 billion tons when that promise was made in 1992 to something so like 37 billion tons fully today. incentivized to shift away to away from fossil fuel recovery into other forms of business, use their funds and their ability to raise money to transition their own business. Hope is not passive. Hope is not blah, blah, blah. So that's a huge uh, challenge that we need to now think about how we flatten this curve and move to a world like um, to of 1.5 degrees, limiting climate change to no more than 1.5 degrees. We do agree with the just transition away from fossil fuels, but we do reiterate that in the discussion, we have 2030, the expectation and hope is 2035. Hope is telling the truth. Hope is taking action. And hope always comes from the people. And in that there are some practices that we need to continue promoting, and that's, for example, the free prior and informed consent of indigenous peoples. Net zero, which is where we know we need to go if we want to limit further warming of the planet. And all of the activities that are related to ensure our rights to land, territories, and resources. Um, cash is the 100 billion dollar annual part that was promised to developing um, So that's where we've come from and that's the challenge before us now. And COP26 is really coming at a critical time for how we make this flattening of the curve happen. And we the people, we want a safe future. We want real climate action and we want climate justice. And I want to say in the next few minutes that we need three things from this COP. We need a ratchet, we need a ratchet from house gases down, a ratchet money up. It's through carbon pricing, and depending upon the relative elasticities of supply and demand, carbon pricing affects both demand and supply. And then trees, we want to halt and reverse deforestation uh, by 2030 as well. We need rules for how we're going to implement this new agreement we got in Paris in 2015. The burden is shared between consumers and the companies. That's the way to do it. Did you hear me? What do we want? When do we want it? What do we want? And we need transformation. When do we want it? The leaders like to say we can do this as well. They obviously don't mean it, but we do. We can do this. I'm absolutely convinced and that we, we can. But it starts with the people. It starts with facing the reality of the situation, as uncomfortable as it may be. It so starts with taking action, and it starts now. Again, what do we want? And you can think about this. When do we want it? What do we want? Carbon dioxide and we You will bring around carbon reductions, PDQ, and it will actually begin to 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 get to make previous costs. A lot of them were dedicated to trying to negotiate what you might call a global deal. Prescribe this country should do that much. This country should do this much, and together that would add up to hopefully a big reduction. So 90 of these carbon producers have contributed to a 57% of the observed rise in carbon dioxide over the historical, over the historical period. Instead, Paris creates a more iterative model where countries make different pledges, signing their nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, what they say they can do in the next five or 10 years. And I think that number is just incredibly large, just boiling down to such a small number of companies. This is one of the things that has changed since the Paris Agreement, that that, that 2030 date has gone 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 up in you know, and, and I agree um, with everything that's it, been said, that it's really shareholders and carbon pricing from, you know, from the supply side that is going to shift this. And then we review those at regular intervals. We review the implementation of the previous pledges. We also review the adequacy of all the pledges together. Are they adding up to the goals that we've set? Well, for looking at this as from the point of view of indigenous peoples that have been the ones that for generations have protected the resources, of course, we do believe on long-term 
vision. And critically, and this is the most important part for Glasgow, we ratchet those pledges up over time. Our, our intrinsic relation uh, with nature, it goes beyond generation. For any community, it's seven generations that we look at when we are discussing solutions at this moment. So in, in theory, the system should help us to start from a low base to move upward toward the ambition we know we need to get to. We are nowhere near in terms of reducing emissions. The recent UNEP report made it very clear that we have to reduce emissions at the rate of 7% every year for the next 10 years. Only then we'll be able to keep the temperature levels below 1.5. So Otherwise, we are going to face devastating climate impacts. The reality is that the Global South is already facing climate emergencies. They are facing increasing number of cyclones, drought and rising seas. And they need to be supported now as we speak. Overall, we can think about the shift as something from a change for regulatory regime. In other words, kind of prescribe what countries should do in a green and a common document, a treaty, what that should be, to this more, we might call it catalytic regime. It's about trying to solve the production problem, not by getting everyone to sign on that line altogether, but rather to try to create a, a sort of um, critical mass of action over time and to scale that up progressively. I think institutions are incredibly important um, to making long-term policy and the, the example so this is a really important can be shift between a, a, a precedent setting example internationally is the carbon budget system where we um, way back and Glasgow is particularly important this is the first time we're testing this third piece of the Paris regime the ratchet 80% emissions reduction by 2050 since changed to 100%. Home, and we've got to make um, sure that five yearly carbon budgets all the way there between what really gets discussed at global conferences and the lived experience of up. impact. If it's too wide, that compact allowing leaders to make vast commitments on people's behalf. Back in 1992, more than 150 countries signed up to this convention. The treaty creates a multinational if you have elections that are free from undue influence of fossil fuel interests, um, those will help you make good policy on climate change. Yes, uh, we're talking about taking difficult short-term action with long-term benefits. Well, as of this morning, when I last checked, we've seen actually 139 of 196 or so parties to the UN process uh, have put forward a new or updated National Determined Contribution, or NDC. That's the good news. But if policy is crafted carefully, the short-term action doesn't have to be painful. And he made a speech in which he said, the era of procrastination of half measures of soothing and baffling expedience of delays is coming to its close. I think with well-designed policy, actually, there's huge short-term opportunities, job creation and investment and growth of new industries, and people really welcome that. But the world's thinking has to change faster than the climate. And the global community, in my view, is currently still neglecting adaptation. So we need our leaders to step up. The less good news is that, unfortunately, only about 81 of them really represent a meaningful submission, a meaningful progression of their ambition from the previous round, the round that was put forward in Paris. In its place, we are entering a period of consequences.
So we have a number of countries, for example, Mexico or Brazil, which haven't yet put forward a new ambitious plan. They've put forward um, a pretty weak one. We are now experiencing the consequences of the climate crisis in every part of our world. Um, we know that the Cumbria coal mine would be the UK's first uh, deep coal mine in three decades and, you know, it would produce coking coal, which we'll also see a lot of countries come forward with net zero targets, which are looking beyond the kind of five to ten year plan uh, span of the Paris Agreement pledges, where giving us an important direction itself, of travel um, to work for over time. And indeed, it, something like countries that add up to 80% percent of global GDP now have these kinds of net zero pledges. The scientists warned us that these consequences were coming. From the emissions landscape, we know that we have more work to do, though, because these pledges that I've mentioned are putting us into business with one reassertion of 1.5 degrees. I think it's behind the 10 point plan, which is an excellent list of the sort of things we should get behind. So and a reaffirmation of that and commitment is massively It does not signal credibility uh, to. The UK's plans and, and it shows that the current NDCs, uh, the uh, ones that were current as of September, you know, are still leading to something like a 16% rise in emissions also, by 2030. So, you know, we actually know we need to bring that radically down. Uh, or permitting less because they're not being led by example. So um, I, I have quite a strong view on this. You know, the IEA report today, which talks here about tripling of spending in renewables, is fundamentally important. That's really important. Particularly when we've just gone through the recent price shocks associated with gas. That starts to impact investment. So stability around supply of renewables is going to be massive for businesses. So we are a country that is very proud of that. Although we started the Industrial Revolution burning coal to produce the energy that that was used in that process. The question then is how much ratchet needs to happen to really success? the hard question to answer, and no one really expected it. This round of ratcheting to get us all the way there. What it really needs to do is show that this Paris But because their warnings were proven to be spot on and exactly correct, the worst if actually a bit conservative, really matters. This is the nature of climate policy. And so if we don't get serious about climate change today, it will be too late for our children to do so tomorrow. Then what on earth are we doing? Uh, opening up a new mine. Now I'm not and sure all that the mine those is going promises to go ahead, will be nothing. I, I do but blah that, uh, blah blah. That would stop that. To coin a phrase. I think business needs a kick, right? We've just done a um, a survey of the 1,000 top companies in Europe, and from what we've seen, only a third have committed to net zero by 2050. We must pay even more careful attention to the warnings that they are giving us now. And the anger and the impatience of the world will be uncontainable unless we make this COP26 in Glasgow the moment when we get real about climate change. It is not a secret that COP26 is a failure. The latest uh, six assessment of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which was released in August, contains the most dire warnings that the scientific body of experts has ever given us. It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. But some of those rules haven't yet been finalized. There's a few things still to negotiate in Glasgow to finalize the system. Putting in place what we have experienced so far is nothing the next five years compared to what would take place if we do not meet the pledges that have already been made here in Glasgow. Many are starting to ask themselves, what will it take we believe biodiversity needs to have a, you know, a much clearer seat at the table. So, if I can use the metaphor of this time at the Olympics, but let's this be is clear. not a sprint, they it's a marathon. They are awake. They know exactly what they are doing. The science is unequivocal. 
to quote the IPCC, uh, and people are now experiencing it They know for exactly what priceless values they are sacrificing to maintain business as usual. More importantly, in terms of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and the COP, so the first one is ratchet, the second one is rules, but the final one is maybe even the most important Deletus. of all. But there the is optimism as well as danger. Because within the IPCC assessment is some rather hopeful news alongside their warning. Because even though cops are really about what governments are doing, intergovernmental meeting of the UN. COP26 is a pivotal moment. Expectations for the Glasgow COP are high. We're rapidly running out of time to limit climate change to 1.5 degrees. This is an important one. And looking at the if others on we the panel, actually do reach net zero, when we do, Earth's temperatures will stop going up six. with a lag time of as little as three the to five years. The COP has years. turned into a PR event where leaders are giving beautiful speeches and announcing fancy commitments and targets. While behind the curtains, the governments of the Global North countries are still refusing to take any drastic so just, just climate action. So just to set the report again in stage, I mean, the, the purpose of this is from the scientific community to hand over the 10 new insights that we believe every climate negotiator must have in his or her back pocket to be an effective negotiator at any COP meeting and certainly here in Glasgow. It seems like their main goal is to continue to fight for the status quo. Well, we would like to see that different... The mitigation focus campaign is called really Race to Zero, and it's a big campaign to get net zero targets from a whole different range of actors, but also to make sure those net zero targets are paired with immediate action for reducing emissions by 2030 in this decade. So this is the, the scan of the latest insights. Insight number one is that from an Earth system science perspective, we land in the conclusion that 1.5 degrees Celsius is still a possible landing zone. We can still achieve it. And the long healing process can then begin. Most significantly, perhaps, we will then be able to say to the young people who are out in the streets of Glasgow and have been out in the streets of cities all over the world every Friday and other days besides, demanding that we legitimize their expectations for a future that is worthy of them. Trying to shift the entire financial system to a Paris-compliant model. For indigenous peoples, it's important that... And I think they significantly access biodiversity more than nebulous topics like climate movement. The question is, how will we do that from a feasibility perspective? And that an overshoot is likely. A two-week-long celebration of business as usual and blah, blah, blah. In relation to Arctic laws of business world, cities, regions, and other parts of society. fundamental to ensure the exercise and the respect of our But we must put the period of delay and distraction and expedience in the past. If you add up all the businesses involved, you get something like $8 trillion in annual revenue. It translates to a 2 gigaton, 2 billion tons of carbon dioxide per year reduction pace in a linear level. That's 5% per year. The most affected people in the Consensus most affected areas among the overwhelming still remain majority. And so it's massively important, I think, for the biodiversity to recognize that we have entered a period of consequences and, and make it a period of solutions. And the voices of future generations are drowning in their greenwash and empty words and promises. Increasing evidence of the requirements of carbon, reforestation, soil depth, stem flooding, all of these factors in the bank that make a massive part of the solution. And we make today 42 amount of work and creativity in order to redeem them. But we must hold them 
into account. But the facts do not lie, and we know that our emperors are naked. The translation of ambition into action, so we can have lots of goals, force, targets, intention. But it's not only about mobilizing actors to take on mitigation or adaptation goals. It's also about diving deeper into some of the more specific problems that we know we have to solve to achieve those higher level targets. But it is meaningless if it is not met with action on the ground in terms of reducing emissions drastically in the immediate future. Restoration of nature has gone up the global agenda. And how much joining up we've seen between the different COP processes. So we have um, COP15, I think, still meeting at the moment on biodiversity, but a really strong presence me, of uh, nature throughout the two weeks of planning for um, Glasgow. And we are all in this together. And when we have actionable information, when we have actionable information, actionable information, I promise you, the demand for change will grow and grow and grow. Insight number two is what has been very much in discussion here in Glasgow, namely that there is no safe landing to deliver the Paris Agreement only by decarbonizing the global energy system carbon dioxide. We're also going to see a huge focus, for example, on nature and so-called nature-based We must keep using, at the center uh, of our concerns the poor, the low-income communities, the marginalized communities that have suffered the most from Methane, nitrous oxide, non-CO2 gases are worsening global warming. Real combination of green, blue, and grey. We should understand the connectedness of our entire world, not see a as efforts, a figure of speech, so not as a metaphor, but as a reality. He represents the people, but is able to respond much more quickly than the United Nations the pandemic the climate models show clearly that we need to follow the same pace of reduction as carbon dioxide to have a chance of delivering the Paris Agreement. And this is the uncomfortable result of our leaders' repeated failure to address this crisis. Number one. Should we listen to the dire warnings from the leading scientific experts, whether about an oncoming pandemic or a worsening climate crisis? We should listen to them. Using steel without any fossil fuels, entirely clean energy. And that's really the important kind of transformation that now needs to be scaled up worldwide. And that nitrous oxide and methane are fundamental here, and that the discussions here and agreements is one step along the way, but not sufficient scientifically. global civilization suddenly be turned upside down in short order? Check. We've seen it with the pandemic, and the scientists are telling us it will be far worse unless we take control of the causes of this worsening climate crisis. This whole shit system that we've been describing about getting ratcheting going, getting the review, getting all the society involved, it's really about trying to push a larger shift in the climate regime from the focus on just negotiations between countries to what you might think of as the ambition action loop. Also important in this context is to remind ourselves that air pollutants are actually cooling the planet. So we have a paradox and a very dramatic one, which is that one environmental problem, air pollutants, are camouflaging another environmental crisis, the global warming Last crisis. Year, and this is well established scientifically. The Lancet Commission has now told us that we could, if we do not act, expect to see one billion climate refugees migrating across borders. It's directly tied to other crises and injustices that date back to colonialism and beyond. My faith tradition teaches me 
to welcome the refugee. Inside three is that we've entered the age of intensified mega fires. This is also causing, apart from social impacts on humans, enhanced climate positive feedback, which is a warming amplifier. There could not be a more important moment that we should have international agreements. But my previous lifetime as a recovering politician in the world of the epidemic has shown us how crucial it is to find agreement among nations of immigration in a short period of time. And it is very naive of us to think the problems that await us within the next five to ten years. Uh, here you have the 2019-2020 mapping of the accelerated forest fire outbreaks, which are now covering more and more area and caused by human COP global warming or, or, or accentuated by human but global warming. And at last, the nations will come together to solve the crippling problems that the world, the globe, now faces to spread around our world. And to do this, I must go back hundreds of years into the roots of imperialist expansion and the story of my own community. That's, of course, going to be a job for governments, but it's also going to be a job for all other parts of society, for cities, for regions, for businesses, so finance, Tipping elements are real. It's a real risk that we cannot rule out. The IPCC is clear here. Here you see the trajectory in terms of the risk assessments from science, from the third assessment of the IPCC all the way till today. But we must also take account of the hyper-inequality in our world, and we should seize the effort, the ongoing effort to solve the climate crisis as an opportunity to redress this inequality. And the stakes cannot be higher. What you see here is that the more uh, scientific advances, the lower in global mean temperature is the scientific assessment of the risk of crossing tipping points. And that the tipping point risk today is down between 1.5 and 2 degrees Celsius. My region was stolen by the British Crown in order to extract oil and suck the land of all its nutrients while seeking to displace my people and end our practices. Um, or three to... Scientific certainty here yet, but we are seeing more and more a risk landscape that is coming very closer within the Paris range. We get about five meters from the western part of the ice We have more than five meters, and we've been exceeding the five meters. Only the second and both. But the harsh truth is that that is not possible in practice. Because hyper inequality. The scientific frontier the here is that we are not only seeing the risk across the tipping point, but it's also that we are seeing the risk of interaction, so called cascades, between the tipping element systems. And then after that, the New Zealand government stole the foreshore and seabed. We are facing an existential crisis. We have the capacity and resources to address this crisis. And you see here, for example, when the green ice sheet melts fast, releasing cold fresh water in the North Atlantic, slowing down the overturning of heat in the North Atlantic, impacting on the monsoon over the Amazon, which can explain a higher degree of droughts and forest fires in the Amazon rainforest, which in turn also locks in warm water in the Southern Ocean, accelerating potentially the melting of the West Antarctic ice shelf. Sea level rise as the ice sheet accelerated and towed accelerating the Calvin into the And the alternatives to capitalism we experienced in the 20th century. These cascades is on the scientific frontier. We are still working very hard on this, but it just gives even stronger message to negotiators here that precaution is important. about this with ourselves, with each other, and with the rest of the world. Three weeks from now, on the 8th of December, alongside Karen Van Sweden and Jeremy Cox, 
I will be taking the UK the government to court to over the Nazi oil and gas subsidies I mentioned before. We will hold them accountable. This justice factor has very dramatic numbers. We know them all, but just to give you the latest statistics, we will win because the power is with the people. The power is with all of us. I have repeated the same words: wildfires, sea level rise, wildfires, suffering, sea level rise, biodiversity loss, sea level rise. The richest one percent must reduce emissions by a factor of thirty. But it is the truth, and it would permit us to rapid sea level rise unless we cool the planet by solar radiation management techniques. While the poorest fifty percent in the world are entirely capable of turning this around, for the world to stay within the global carbon budget in a fair way. So we may be very, very close to this tipping point. And it is indigenous and friendly communities that are leading this remaking. I'm from Tucumán, a province in the north of my country, which is the poorest in the northwest. We don't need to What about the value of the mountains and the ocean? Now, insight is really on behavior change. We need to have a transition not only into decarbonization of the energy systems in terms of technologies. In the U.S. and Canada alone, indigenous resistance has stopped or delayed greenhouse gas pollution, equivalent to at least one quarter of annual emissions. What we do works. It is the millions of students and ordinary people across the world. What about the plight of the poor? But we also need 1.5 degrees Celsius lifestyle. I heard it on my channels from you. Status quo and consumption patterns and growth will not take us to the Paris range. And in our response, we must be decolonial, rooted in justice and peaceful communities like mine, borne the burden of the global North greed. While the intensity of their tones varied, their messages. Well, one and the same. I cannot put it more simply that than that this we know what equity, we are doing. This is about equity, but it's also about climate change and behavior change. Or let us lead, then you're complicit that in the death and destruction that is happening across the globe. They have had 26 cops. Inside seven is about economic policy measures. Scientists are greatly concerned about the rapid melting of six glaciers in one of the world's largest ice sheets in Western Antarctica. We have so much scientific evidence today that carbon pricing can Twenty-two percent of global emissions are covered by carbon price, and so far the carbon price is not efficient because it's set at a too low level. This is all part of following indigenous leadership. But the European Union is the first example in the world of a region where the carbon pricing system is starting to work. We must accelerate our efforts to ensure that all countries can access to the latest technological innovations. Because it's starting to come up to scientific parity in the level of pricing at over 60 euros per ton of carbon dioxide. The only containers to carry water that they have access to are empty glyphosate shards. Second, nearly 100 trillion dollars. Major based solutions are absolutely fundamental to have a chance of delivering the Paris Agreement. That is because we have been excluded. Which is almost on their territory. And what if we only look at these six places to the ice sheet itself? Well, Antarctica has a mountain range down the middle, and these six glaciers help support and drain out the ice sheet portion on the west side of that. It is unclear how they will be utilized, prioritized. People, people who have fought tooth and nail to get here to Glasgow, while billionaires and fossil fuel CEOs coming in their private jets and super yachts, get to speak at COP and lecture us on how to save the planet. 
The ocean is the resilient thermostat of the planet biologically and physically. We have so much science today showing the threats to the ocean. Well, we'll see both because sea level rise is already happening. And what we'll see is this component of sea level rise from the melting ice along with the investing in 30% targets for marine protected areas, we believe, is one measure to reduce these threats. When you get a particularly for vulnerable countries, we must ensure the people in power are obviously scared of the truth in adaptation and mitigation finance. No matter how hard they try, the Philippines is one of the most impacted countries when it comes to the climate crisis. In I addition have witnessed to this, last year, approximately one and a half million hectares were burned. Over the long term, we'll then start to see really large amounts, and even the baseline, just the everyday amount of sea level, will be so much higher that it will really, really cause a lot of problems. Number 10 is on the connections between climate impacts and costing that we need to correct the market economic failure in factoring in the true cost of climate damage. So we're talking about permanent coastal flooding in certain areas. Which areas are most threatened by that? Well, obviously places like New York City, but especially the world's almost 1.8 billion youth to not only make the transition to blue and green economies. Shanghai, many places around the world are very susceptible. How two of the costliest typhoons to ever hit the country just last year. These injustices arise from an extractive and withering production system. And is there no turning back at this point? I mean, scientists say they were surprised at how quickly the ice is melting. Well, there may not be a turning back from melting of West Antarctica, but there is still control over how much sea level rise we experience, which is really what we care about, because the biggest portion to date has come from just warmer water expanding. It's clearly laid out for the policymakers and stakeholders. So the more we limit the most important well, this one is really they caused by a multiple, multitude of, of factors, but they all relate to humans dumping chemicals into the atmosphere. To the logic of a globalized capitalist economic model and to the demands we pledged of the to protect those most vulnerable, and we acknowledged that this was a planetary problem, that no country could go alone. And so it's both the greenhouse gases that cause the warming and ozone-depleting substances, it reflects which is a problem we don't know. No one in the Philippines has the 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 And that the number one entry point there is really about health that we have today. It has Over 7 million for the people first time per year summit prematurely losing their lives because of air pollutants, which is one of the, the factors that we need to now fully factor into the costing of our risky journey on the climate rise. The amount of CO2 in the atmosphere has reached record levels. Heat waves have scorched countries around the world. Gloria Capitan, Obila Bayao. Datu Victor Danyan, all assassinated under the Duterte regime for pro protesting against destructive coal, mining, and plantation projects in the Philippines. Droughts, storms, forest fires, and floods have all become more intense, more recurrent, and more this commonplace. This model is the result of the imposition of a project of planned misery by the imperialist powers on the north, on the people of the south. The climate crisis is not an issue. It's an issue of today, not 2050, not 2030. And each second, these world leaders delay action towards global mitigation and adaptation, condemns billions across the world to an unlivable future. And sea levels are rising, threatening small island states and coastal communities alike. We see a shift where we no longer debate and fight over the direction of travel. But we're seeing rather a debate and concerns over the speed. It is now unequivocal that the same goal forces causing a rising economy. We have the science. We have the science. We agree on the idea. What then is holding us back? The climate crisis 
Some recent only one variable remains, and it is the last ten years would have been extremely unlikely exactly to occur what they are doing at COP, which in all human influence has on the climate into a celebration of pointless promises of world leaders. We have leaders. to make the choice to address climate change. We have to choose we have the hard but necessary actions. We have to listen to the science and, and increasingly our global population will be exceeded during this century unless we have run out of let us not choose extinction. The Let us work North together as one global family and use the capacities and, and capabilities to bring at hand what needs to be done. The world is sacrificing millions in the global south on the altar of capitalism and imperialism. Policies. Let us get it done. So then the question is, is there reason to celebrate already now at half point? Well, there isn't, because there is a deep concern. It is because no if we had reached this point one generation ago, when we met in Kyoto, I think we would have had reason to celebrate. I because science would have said, everyone yes, we can have a soft landing. Moment. This gives us a lot of time. This gathering on the forest pledges, the on the methane pledges, on the climate crisis is rooted in the imperialist exploitation of people and planet. Around the world, the global south bears the brunt of climate change and ecological degradation. and hunger than in the countries the people responsibly for these mega projects climb from. Deforestation, deforestation from Amazon, Cerrado, Kachinga, Atlantic Forest, and But Pantanao. now we are in an emergency point. We have reached the final decisive decade of our opportunity we to land safely at 1.5, and 1.5 is a system. real planetary no boundary. All driven by the a system that measure places profit the over people's lives. Of our collective the efforts will be the state of its condition. And so there's no time to celebrate the efforts so that we can get more pledges and more efforts and more money on the table. Striking in Glasgow as leaders decide what's better or worse for our future. Criminal actions are added to legal and of North, Midwest, and North We only stand a chance of changing society for the better if we look beyond conferences and like guiding this. And look around I think us. we've never seen such engagement from science in supporting this transition. COP26 must be ambitious and realistic. But you know, the zero pledges do not yet add up. It is phenomenal that with India now on board on a zero target for 2070, too late for science. But still, it gives us a chance of moving just for the first time, just below two degrees. The global north need here the global south. The global north need here the black people. It is through collective organized action with the people that we can address and begin to work to address the crisis holistically. We can move just that This is a bare minimum that needs to be done. And we are well aware that the world, the global north, owes so much more to the south. But I would say that the
I'm on the phone with Jim on one of our regular check-ins. Jim, just nothing's happening. Uh, it's going well. We had uh, some serious bouts of wind. But other than that, things are fairly well set up here. We've got some continuous time lapse. Going it's starting, on. Adam. I think Adam is starting. Oh wait, Jim. Jim, Jim this is the, the big piece is starting to cast. Let me call you back. Call him back. Okay. Bye. Still going? Yeah. In that V section right there. Holy shit! Look at that big bird rolling. All four are running, right? Look at that. You see how, look at the whole thing. is 300, sometimes 400 feet tall. Pieces of ice were shooting up out of the ocean 600 feet and then falling. The only way that you can really try to put it into scale with human reference is if you imagine Manhattan. And all of a sudden, all of those buildings just start to rumble and quake and peel off and just fall over and fall over and roll around. This whole massive city just breaking apart in front of your eyes. We're just observers, these two little dots on the side of the mountain. And we watched and recorded the largest witness calving event ever caught on tape. 